Holy Father, because it is true, ours to cross the grave, the skies. We have the courage and hope to worship today. Keep the fires of both that hope and courage burning brightly. Through Christ our Lord, we pray. Amen. Be seated, please. I love that story of hers that comes out of this immense catastrophe this past week in central Italy. 98-year-old Maria Di Antuono was asleep when that 6.3 magnitude earthquake struck her tiny little village of Tempera. And for 30, count them, 30 long dark, interminable hours, she was trapped beneath the rubble of her stone house. So you can imagine the roaring cheer that goes up when that crowd of onlookers watching those rescuers claw through the debris to find that trapped lady. That cheer that goes up as they bring her out alive and well. As they're carrying her out, somebody in the crowd called out to her asking what she did to while away those hours while she was waiting for somebody to rescue her. And the 98-year-old matriarch shot back, why crocheting, of course. When I heard that, I said, how could it be? The world has come down around you and she's found some what, those hooks and the yarn and the wool and she's just crocheting. They'll come, they'll come. I love the London Guardian's wry observation. Whatever faults Maria D'Antuono may have, wasting time is not one of them. And by the way, there's more to the story. As they're taking her to the waiting ambulance, great-grandma Maria had one more astonishing line for the onlookers when she called out, Does anybody have a comb? i got to get this dust out of my hair before I go to the hospital. Leading the Guardian to quip. There is new meaning to, the, to that Italian phrase, bella figura, keeping up appearances. I tell you, what a glad story. Particularly when you remember how utterly sad that catastrophe. I saw the news last night. 215 coffins lined up beside each other in the plaza of that devastated city for a corporate funeral service. And yet here's this story. You know, it's, it's an almost resurrection story. You think about it, she was underground for nearly as long as Christ was. And she comes out, out of that rubble and debris, she comes out alive. Have you ever noticed in reading the resurrection account in the New Testament how scarce, I mean almost absent, is any detail about Jesus' resurrection? I mean, I understand why. Number one, there were no eyewitnesses except for those fainting Roman guards and number two, how could you possibly describe this near fission moment when divinity explodes that human house back to life again? But no details, except for Matthew. The only details we have of the actual resurrection are found here in Matthew. I want to go to Matthew's account. Find your uh, Gospels, please. Open your Bible to the Gospel of St. Matthew, chapter 28. If you didn't bring a uh, Bible with you on this, 
Easter weekend, grab the Pew Bible in front of you. Open it with us. That'll be the New King James. I'll be in the TNIV. But let's go to Matthew's account. The only gospel with any word at all about what happened early that Sunday morning. Matthew chapter 28. Pew Bible, it's page 672. Matthew chapter 28. All right. Read the account once again. Verse 1. After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. Verse 2. There was a violent earthquake. That's how we know there was one. There was a violent earthquake. For an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. Can you see him? Flick that thing to the side and then sits on it. I need a chair. And sat on it. Now, verse 3. His appearance was like lightning. Now, we have some humdinger lightning storms here in Michigan. And if you, have, you, you know how bright that white light is. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. Verse 4. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. Gone. They're down. I want to read to you another account. Feels like an eyewitness account. This is from the classic on the life of Jesus called Desire of Ages. Let me just read a line or two to kind of set us up today. The night of the first day of the week had worn slowly away. The darkest hour just before daybreak had come. Christ was still a prisoner in His narrow tomb. The great stone was in its place. The Roman sea was unbroken. The Roman guards were keeping their watch as you'll see this afternoon in the Passion. And there were unseen watchers. Hosts of evil angels were gathered about the place. Had it been possible, the prince of darkness with his apostate army would have kept forever sealed the tomb that held the Son of God. You bet nobody's coming here. This is our piece of earth. Had it been possible, they would have. But I, I love this. But a heavenly host surrounded the sepulcher. Angels that excel in strength. You have a guardian angel beside you. Let me tell you, my friend, if that angel chose to reveal himself, what happened to the guards would happen to whoever is harassing you. You are always under the care of an angel who excels in strength. No matter what the evil one may whisper to you, you have a stronger, unseen companion. Angels that excel in strength regarding the tomb and waiting to welcome the Prince of Life. And then there's this earthquake. And the, the, the quote from Matthew that we just read, clothed with the panoply of God, this angel, okay, the angel that came down, this angel left the heavenly courts, the bright beams of God's glory went before him and illuminated his pathway. So you have this angel just shooting down, just But in front of him, it's just like, the, it's, it's like a waterfall of light. This, wa this, this light is just cascading in front of him and he's following that light trap all the way down to that guarded sepulcher. The earth trembles. As the angel's approaching, the earth trembles. The hosts of darkness flee. And as he rolls away the stone, heaven, heaven seems to come down to earth. The soldiers see him removing the stone as he would a pebble. And they hear the angel cry, Son of God, come forth. Thy Father calls thee. They see Jesus come forth from the grave and they hear Him proclaim over that rent sepulcher, I am the resurrection and the life. 
And as He comes forth in majesty and glory, oh, if there had only been a security camera that had been turned on that day, we'd have had the pictures of that night. Watch this. As He comes forth in majesty and glory, the angel host, He's commander-in-chief of this whole army, the angel host bow low in adoration before the Redeemer with songs of praise. One line more. He who had vanquished death and the grave came forth from the tomb with the tread of a conqueror amid the reeling earth, the flashing of lightning, and the roaring of thunder. This was not... It was not one of those. This was an explosive nuclear moment. Jerusalem slept through it. But nobody there, that pre-dawn moment, would ever forget. Let's be honest. The story of Easter is not the easiest story in the world to believe. Come on. Naturalism. That's this, this, this philosophical worldview that says there is no supernatural and we will not let there be. That's what naturalism is. Naturalism rules the American Academy, the entertainment industry, the secular media, Secular godlessness is the name of the game. And I tell you what, Christian faith and Christian's faith, it's tough. This is not an easy story to believe in. That's why I'm I'm particularly invigorated by this book I'm reading right now, written by Timothy Keller. Let me give you the title of the book. The Reason for God, Belief in an Age of Skepticism. And the reason I'm finding this such an inspiring read is because... I know a little bit about the author. The author has spent 20 years in New York City, in Manhattan. He's senior pastor of the Redeemer Presbyterian Church. He raised up that church 20 years ago with his wife and two little girls. They now are spread out, 6,000 worshipers all over the city. They have daughter churches around the world. He's dealt with the bright young minds of New York, dealing with skeptics. He writes this book. I want to put a line on the screen for you. He's challenging. Keller is challenging the skeptic challenger. Read this on the screen. The only way to doubt Christianity rightly. Okay, so you got some questions? Let me tell you how to doubt it. The only way to doubt Christianity rightly and fairly is to discern the alternate belief under each of your doubts and then to ask yourself what reasons you have for believing it. Come on. You have an alternate belief. What reasons do you have? How do you know your belief is true, he goes on. It would be inconsistent to require more justification for Christian belief than you do for your own, but that is frequently what happens. And now listen, in fairness, you must doubt your doubts. I like that. You've got to doubt your doubts. Come on. You weren't born with these doubts. You weren't born with them. Challenge them. How can you challenge faith when you don't challenge doubt? And then, Keller, let me put this one-liner on the screen for you. Doubt, like faith, has to be learned. It is a skill. Ladies and gentlemen, nobody is born with doubt. And by the way, I've got to flip that coin over. Nobody's born with faith. You have to learn doubt as a skill. You've got to teach yourself how to doubt. The antithesis is just as true. You have to learn how to trust. You have to teach yourself about faith. Neither can have an edge or a monopoly or the playing field is not level. Both require a skill and you have to learn that skill. Now look, I know I'm preaching to the choir right now. We've got a room full of people who have learned the skill of faith. That doesn't make, however, the story of Easter easy to believe. But I tell you what it does. It does radically transform that story into a power 
that we can embrace in our own faith journey. That's why the greatest Christian who ever lived... And by the way, he was, an un, he was a skeptic and an unbeliever when it, when it came to the risen Christ. The mighty writer, the brilliant writer, and Apostle Paul. That's why he is so adamant about learning faith and the power of an empty tomb. I want to go for our other text. Nobody ever goes to... Who goes to Ephesians 1 for Easter? Nobody does. But I want you to take a look at a little line tucked away. What a message of hope and courage for us. Ephesians chapter 1. In the Pew Bible, that would be page 787. Take a look at this. Here's the Easter story told in a very different way. Ephesians chapter 1. Let's pick it up in verse 18. Okay, Paul writing here, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which He has called you, the riches of His glorious inheritance in His people, and His incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength, verse 20, that He exerted when He raised Christ from the dead, there it is, and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly realms, verse 21, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that can be invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. End quote. I hold in my hands a clipping from this week, uh, this week's South Bend Tribune. Their little uh, column, Finance Watch. It's a headline that caught my eye. Let me read this to you. Money worries multiply couples' stress. All right? Well, that's not, a, that's not a, a new thought, I don't suppose. But here's the opening line. They say money can't buy happiness, but financial strain can certainly help undo a relationship. And then there's six bullets. Let me read the bullets to you. Bullet number one. 70% of Americans said they had so much debt it contributed to distress in their home lives. Isn't that something? 70% of Americans saying we're having problems at home because we're in so much debt. Number two. Money is the number one source of disagreement in the early years, years of marriage. The number one source. Every time I give... Uh, premarital counseling. I've been doing premarital counseling for, for centuries now. Every time. It's not changed. I'm telling you, it has not changed. The number one problem. Some of you newlyweds to be. The number one problem is the issue of money. It's going, and I'll tell you what, in this economic meltdown now, <laughs> that's going to go way up. All right, here's bullet number three. The odds of violent behavior are nearly six times higher for people who lose their jobs. Number four, the financial strain of job loss reduces overall satisfaction in a relationship, any relationship. If I've lost my job, my relationships don't even mean as much to me. I'm losing it. Number five, job loss can cause depression or other symptoms of poor mental health. We kind of guessed that one. And finally, number six, women are more likely to get distressed when husbands lose jobs than vice versa. Husband can take it. You lost your job, honey. Okay, well, we'll be all right. But if it's the other way around, the man is out of work, women are going to, get, going to become distressed. We need to be reminded, by the way, that a bad economy, such as the one we're in right now, this is not an agnostic predicament. This is not a Christian predicament. This is a human being predicament. Everybody goes through this. Nobody gets a pass. Nobody goes past go and collects $200. Everybody goes straight through the meltdown. There's no other way. So how are we going to survive this? 
That is why, ladies and gentlemen, we desperately need secret number two. Take out your study guide. Let's go. This is a continuing mini-series right here in the Pioneer Memorial Church. Delighted to have you who are visiting with us today. This is, today is day for secret number two. You didn't get this. This study guide will be worth one quotation on it. One quotation. You have to have it. Put your hand up. Our ushers will get it to you wherever you are in our... Uh, congregation today. While the passion play is going on live outside of us, we're going to focus for a moment on the resurrection. Just one more moment. All right, those of you who are watching right now, we're delighted to have you. I want you to have the same quotation. This is a dynamite piece. You've got to have it. Go to our website, please. Let me put it on the screen. www.pmchurch. You see it right there at the bottom. PM Church, Pioneer Memorial Church. TV. You're looking for this mini series. It's only four parts long. Four secrets to surviving the coming economic earthquake. Secret number two, tap into the economy of empty. That's today. And by the way, don't miss secret number three, going over the head of Warren Buffett. That's coming next Sabbath. Don't you miss it. And secret number four, the following week, how to not only survive, but thrive in the midst of an economic meltdown. That's coming the next two times, but I'm glad you're here for secret number two. Grab that study guide. Let's go. Because unbeknown to the English reader, we don't get it. See, we don't see it in the Greek. Paul has intentionally chosen three very different synonyms for the word power. In English, it just says power. Notice the three. Here we go with that study guide. I want you to jot these three down, please. Synonym number one for power. Greek synonym number one, dunamis. From whence comes our word dynamite? What is that? That's the power to eliminate obstacles. That's what dynamite does, doesn't it? Of course. I love driving through mountains. Don't you love driving through a mountain? Do you know the only reason we can drive through mountains is because somebody took a stick of dynamite and threw it at this massive rock and blasted the side of the mountain out. That's the only way you can drive through a mountain. Dynamite removes obstacles. So when Paul here in this resurrection passage describes God's incomparably great Mega, his incomparably great power. And he uses the word dunamis. He's trying to tell you and me that financial trouble, I know, it can, it can feel, that stone can feel the size of Mount Everest, and that stone has us trapped in the dark hole of debt. It can have you trapped in the dark hole of unemployment. It can have you trapped in the dark hole of poverty. That stone cannot be moved from the inside. But what Paul's trying to tell us is there is a power that emanates from an empty tomb and that power like dynamite can blast any obstacle in your way. By the way, we're thinking financially, but if you prefer to think socially, if you prefer to think uh, physically, because some of you are going through a massive physical crisis now with your body and your life, you can think maritally, think whatever you wish. That power is the same. Greek synonym for power number one, dynamite. The power to eliminate Obstacles. That angel comes down and like a pebble just casts that stone. It's nothing. It's nothing to heaven. All right, here comes number two. Greek synonym for power. Number two, the power. And this is the word kratos. It is the power to exert authority. Authority. Power of authority. Have you been following this story? I mean, you know, Pastor Esther mentioned it in her prayer. I guess it's still going on. The, uh, the, the, the piracy and the hijacking? The first time in 200 years of American maritime history, the first time a foreign power has boarded, a pirate power has boarded a flagged U.S. vessel. The first time. 
And everybody's asking the question. Okay, stars and stripes. We do see the flag on the back of this ship. Was it from Norfolk, Virginia? We see the, we see the stars and stripes. Who's got the authority to, this, to settle this one? And there's, there's this huge standoff. Who has the authority? When that angel comes down on that, on that resurrection morning, Paul uses a second word to describe to us how the demons of hell fled in the presence of supreme authority. The God of the empty tomb, the power that emanates from that empty tomb today is the power of supreme authority. Do you know what that means? Financial crisis, be it personal or collective, it can feel like we're being held by an alien power. Let's be honest, it feels like that. But the power of the risen Christ can usurp the pseudo-power of that financial obstacle, that financial crisis, that financial bondage that's holding you right now. Hallelujah. There are three of these. Three synonyms. You don't get it in the English. Let me give you number three. The Greek word for power, number three, is iskus. It's the power to evidence strength. To show, and this is physical strength. It says, love God with all your heart, your soul, and your strength. Physical strength, that's the word right there. When I was a boy, I used to cringe when my dad would resort to some of his self-deprecating humor. Now, if you knew my dad, he was a wonderful man. I just idolized him. But I hated it when he would tell this story about himself. He'd get all my little buddies surrounding him. He'd say, hey guys, come here, I want to tell you something. My dad grew up in Brooklyn, New York. He said, hey guys, I want to tell you something. When I was a boy, I was the toughest kid in our neighborhood. Oh, I remember the first time I heard this story, I said, yeah, go dad. Yeah, I was the toughest kid in my neighborhood. Every time I came around, the, the, the children started running. But they could never catch me. The first time I heard that, I just went, Oh, Dad, did you have to tell that story? It was a ha-ha moment for all my buddies. But nobody wants his dad to be a, to be a little weakling. You know, they could never catch me. Paul uses the word intentionally to describe physical prowess, superior physical strength. So that when that angel comes down, not only do the demons of hell flee because of supreme authority, even the Roman guards who have stood up to the toughest enemy in the empire fall like dead men. That's the promise. It's good news for those of us who know what it's like to tremble before the bully of financial intimidation. We are in debt up to our eyeballs. We got the collection agency calling, leaving messages on the answering machine. Lost our job. They're cutting back hours. It's almost, you might as well have lost it. Hallelujah. There is an empty tomb today in Palestine out of which emanates a power that is a physical strength. There is no bully in the neighborhood that will not run when our God shows up. Praise His name. Three Greek synonyms for power. There they are. The divine power of the empty tomb. And by the way, three Greek synonyms. One divine truth. Jot it down. The power that emptied Christ's coffin. The power that emptied Christ's coffin is the promise that can fill our empty coffers. Hallelujah. I like that. I.e., when you're running on empty, all you have to do is remember there is a coffin that today is still empty. The power that emptied his coffin 
is the same power that can fill our coffers with, by the way, by the way, with resources we have no inkling of yet. They're ready to be applied. You know what that means? You can't give up. You can't give up. Don't quit. You got all this power. Look, if you can learn faith, you've learned doubt. You taught yourself how to doubt. Listen, turn it around. Now teach yourself how to trust. Say, I'm going to trust this God. I'm going to trust the God that came out of that empty tomb. I'm going to believe that His power is able to crush the bully that has me around the throat. I'm choking. Just trust Him. You say, Dwight, how would I do that? Oh, it's not hard. Like I'll tell you how. This year, for my private worships, I'm doing something I've never done before. I'm reading two books concurrently. So, I'm alternating story by story through Genesis and John. Alright? Story yesterday, Genesis. Today, John. So on, back and forth. I don't know if I'll ever do it again, but it gives me a freshness of both Testaments. So, that's what I'm doing. Anyway, about, well, maybe about ten days ago, I came... Oh, I love this story in John 6. Don't you just love the story in John 6 where Jesus takes these two skinny little fishes... And five wimpy little loaves. And he says, hey guys, have everybody sit down because I'm going to feed everybody here. 5,000 men plus women plus children. Every time I read that story, I say, yes. With God's power, the little I have can feed the whole world. Hallelujah. So I'm reading this story you know, and, and, I, and I journal. And so I'm, I'm getting ready to finish the journal. And I say, hey, I've got to check this, this classic on the life of Jesus. I, I'm not reading this simultaneously with the others, but I said, I'll just check it out. So I opened Desire of Ages to that story, and I found a promise so dynamite, if I can borrow that word again, so dynamite that I, I went over to my laptop and I sent an email to my senior leaders here, our pastoral staff, and I said, hey guys, you've got to read this thing. Take a look. Let our hearts be filled with hope and courage for the uncertainty of the year before us. Boom! And then last Sabbath, I flew down to Arkansas to save television. My friend Carlos Padera owns the station. He's the president and... Uh, they were planning a little three-night live satellite event with Lonnie Meloshenko and Monty Church and me. And so, we're there. And I find out, last weekend, I find out that, in fact, Carlos, I don't know when he found this uh, promise. He found a promise and then sent it out to his whole staff. And they have it taped onto doors around the television studio. I want you to have the same promise. This is the one. I'm so glad you got the study guide. Take a look at this. Desire of Ages, page 371. Isn't this something? The means in our possession may not seem to be sufficient for the work. Some of you are saying, hey, Dwight, I just don't have enough. There is no way we can survive. I don't care what the situation is. You may not have enough. Recognition of that truth. This quotation. Okay? It's true. The means in our possession may not seem to be sufficient. But don't you quit. Look at that next line. But if we will move forward in faith, that means you've got to learn faith. Just like you learn doubt, you've got to learn faith now. Move forward in faith. Trust the God who came out of that tomb. If we will move forward in faith, believing in the all-sufficient power. Write that down. That's our key word for this homily. Believing in the all-sufficient power of God. Oh, can you not love this? Abundant resources will open before us. Hold on. It gets even better. If the work be of God, whatever it is you're in, if God is... If, if you can look to God and say, God, would you bless this that I'm in? Some of you are finishing up your academic career here at Andrews University. Of course you can ask God, God, would you bless this? I'm in it. 
I've got to have a job after graduation in just a few weeks. Would you bless me, please? Of course you can ask Him. He's in that. He got you this far. He's not going to dump you now. Oh, isn't this great? If the work be of God, He Himself... He's not going to send an angel. He Himself will provide the means, the money, for its accomplishment. He will reward honest, simple reliance upon Him. There it is. You can learn faith. My friend, don't you let them tell you that you can't learn faith. You learned out. I learned out. We can learn faith. It is a skill that can be learned. I know that the future for you feels, it feels so intimidating. The future for you looks so dark. But I'm telling you what, my friend, don't you bail out. There is a God that you can learn to trust again. If you trust Him in the past and you say, you know, I've kind of got... You can trust Him again. You never trusted Him before. You can put Him on the line. Trust Him now. You can learn to trust Him with your finances. You can learn to trust Him with your future. You can trust Him with your forever. You can trust God. I know, two small fishes and five little loaves. What is that? It's not enough to cover my debt. It's not enough to reverse my losses. But you put the little you have in the nail-scarred hands of the risen Christ and He promises to take it and multiply it to provide for you. God will take care of you. He will. You can learn. You can learn to trust the risen Christ. My friend, trust Him. With just that much trust. Just that much. Like a mustard seed. That's all you need. Trust Him. God will take care of you.